0: Welcome to the Grace South Bay Church Podcast. I'm Matt Cabot, your host and elder at Grace South Bay. Each week we have a Q&A conversation with our pastors about their sermons. We talk theology and we get into the Bible. And we discuss how to live out our faith as Christians in the Silicon Valley and beyond. Today we continue our conversation on our sermon series from the Gospel of John. In a sermon titled Beautiful Works, Pastor Stephen looks at what it means to be among Jesus' flock and protected by God the Father. He also unpacks Jesus' remarkable claim that he and the Father are one. What does that mean, and why is it important? And how is a cross a beautiful work? We'll answer those questions and more today as we dive into John chapter 10, verses 27 through 42. Glad you're with us. Let's dig in. So Stephen, we start this passage again with the metaphor of Sheep right? Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. Then he continues, my father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. And then Jesus adds, I and the father are one. So let's, uh, let's unpack these verses. When Jesus says about the sheep that know him and follow him, that God has given them to him, what does he mean?
1: Yes, a very deep theological statement packaged in a good analogy that, as we've talked about before, Jesus is using an analogy that everyone uh, listening at the time would understand because they were a shepherding people, a livestock-driven culture, and this is here uh, a similar sheeping, phrase. Sheeping, right? This is
0: called sheeping?
1: Sheeping, right. Yeah, yes, we, yeah. we talked about the sheeping. <laughs> um, the, uh, the category the, of sheeping. This... This idea of the Father giving them uh, the sheep to Jesus is a theme that has already been brought up in the Gospel of John. Uh, In chapter 6, verse 37, Jesus says, All that the Father has given to me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. Um, And what Jesus is opening uh, our understanding to is... Uh, the uh, a deep theological concept, the roles of the different members of the Trinity in the process of salvation, right? Mm. So this is deep, deep stuff. Yeah. Um, we're talking about what we would call the economic Trinity. So mm. how the Trinity relates to each other and how they function within their relationship for the salvation of humanity. And what we see here is that God the Father is the one who preordains some souls for salvation, right? And this is uh, what we might call election. God the Father chooses some, elects some, and whomever he elects and calls to salvation uh, will be saved by Jesus, God the Son. So there's a sense in which um, God the Father marks some, uh, calls some, and gives them to Jesus, who then lives perfectly, dies unjustly, and is raised gloriously Hmm. to save. And so what Jesus is saying here is, uh, God the Father has given me some sheep, and all those whom he has given me I will protect and I will save, they will become part of my flock, and uh, you can be sure that if uh, you've been given to me, you're mine, and no one uh, is able to take you out of my hand.
0: So so let's unpack that a bit. So in addition to being given to Jesus, uh, we cannot be taken from Jesus. What does that, what does that mean?
1: Yeah, so uh, again, this is a, within the analogy of um, a, a shepherd losing track of his sheep or being snatched by either wolves in this context or robbers, also used here in the analogy. Um, and, and really, these words of Jesus should fill us with hope um and comfort right the the safety and security of those who belong to Jesus is assured hmm. um those who have been saved by the sacrifice of Jesus are saved no matter what there is nothing whether it be an external force or an internal sin or doubt that can that can take you away from Jesus Um, And and I know for many of us, that is a concern. Often we see the reality of our sin or the depth of our sin, whether it's from our own introspection or the, um, you know, other people pointing out our sin, and the the guilt and possibly shame is overwhelming. How could Jesus love someone like me? Mm. Um, How could I actually be saved and continue to live this way, to behave this way? And these words here... uh, Confirm that no one, nothing, not even you yourself, can snatch you out of Jesus's hand. Um, mm. Those of us who look at friends or family members who used to profess faith, used to walk with Jesus, um, and now are doubting, or they've turned to a, a life of sin, mm. uh, but are, are still within the the faith. You know, this is this is comfort. Jesus yes. is saying. Uh, this is on me. The responsibility for salvation and security is on me. Those who belong to Jesus will always belong to Jesus, um, and, and that should comfort us. That hopefully is is comforting to us. No, it's
0: incredibly comforting. It's not, it's not up to my to my fickle heart or my faithless ways, but God has promised to keep us and preserve us to the end. Correct, yeah. Yeah. So it's, it, it's a remarkable statement, and it's super hopeful um, but it it, and it may or may not have angered the Jewish leaders, but when Jesus said, "I and the Father are one, the Jews picked up stones to kill him why would why that what what angered them so much?
1: yeah in in their eyes he is very clearly blaspheming here right mm. uh, because he is besmirching the name of Yahweh um, and this this is uh, laced with, tradition and pride and history here, because God reveals himself to Moses on Mount Sinai uh, using a a particular name, um, and that is Yahweh. Hmm. Um, And he tells Moses that he is the God of the people of uh, of Abraham, uh, but he is now initiating a, a new relationship, a new covenant with them, and he is going to rescue them from Egypt, slavery in Egypt, because Israel is his firstborn son. That's the relationship that Yahweh reveals to Moses on Mount Sinai. And so from that point on, there has been this father-son relationship between God and the people of Israel. Now, with that, there is this almighty holiness that God reveals himself with. We might remember that God leads them through the wilderness with a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Mm -hmm. He provides water for them when there's no water. He provides food for them when there's no food. He uh, completely dries up a portion of the Red Sea for them to cross on dry land so that they can escape mm-hmm. Pharaoh's army when they get to Mount Sinai there are thunders uh, and and lightning strikes and loud trumpets at the top signaling God the almighty dwelling there mm-hmm. and so there's a sense in which uh, God even though he's very personal in calling himself the father of Israel he's also very transcendent and mm-hmm. almighty and and high above everyone and everything and because of that Throughout history, Israel has protected the glory and honor of God's name by not even saying it. Hmm. So they wouldn't even say the name Yahweh. They wouldn't even dare utter it, because even talking about it would be uh, putting uh, too little honor and glory to his name. And so when Jesus not only talks about the Father here very openly, but he says, Hmm. I... And the Father are one. I, the 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 boy from Nazareth, turned teacher whom you yeah. knew and saw, are, right. are am one with the Father. They are horrified that he would disregard the the glorious name hmm. of the Father in such a way, and not even the name, but God's identity by uniting Himself to the identity of God. And so, in their tradition, in their view. It was the honorable thing, the, the good and right thing, to stone someone who would say, God and I are one.
0: And, and what he said was, in their eyes, blasphemous, right? And, and this, this term blasphemy, you don't hear it much today. I mean, I remember my grandmother would talk about it much more in her generation, but, but what is it, and why should we avoid it? Yeah, um,
1: it, you know, I, I have a couple thoughts on that, actually, and it, it's mm. hard— Um, Because when we talk about blasphemy, what we're saying is we are attributing uh, something to the Almighty that is not appropriate. Mm -hmm. Um, And we are, in some ways, condescending God by uh, talking disrespectfully or uh, inappropriately about Him. Um, You know, and and in some ways, we do do this often, um, jokingly or seriously um saying you know using the lord's name in vain for example and mm. and it's not necessarily blasphemy uh, but it is taking you know yeah. you, you know especially for for our, uh our culture using uh god's name with a particular um negative uh imperative you know yeah. damning someone in god's right, name right. Uh, that that would, in my opinion, be very close to blasphemy, mm. uh, but here's the other thing, is that, that I think blasphemy, as we see the Jews in particular protecting it, and many of our more conservative family members uh, taking it, um, dis- disregards the fact that God condescended Himself. Mm-hmm. And I think this is really important for us, is that... Um, yes, God is holy other, high above, almighty, holy in the sense that we can 't even begin to understand how perfect and otherworldly He is, mm-hmm. and yet of his own free will, he became human. He lived a, a an incredibly you know normal human life. He ate and drank and had to go to the bathroom and had lost his teeth probably mm. scraped his knees um was uh fell in the mud and probably in his day cuz there was no indoor plumbing stepped in sewage mm. and like all the normal boyhood stuff Jesus experienced um and for us to be so protective of mm. the deity can lead us to a place where we forget Or ignore the humanity of Jesus. And I think that that's important because when we talk about Jesus, we're talking about God uh, with us, right? Emmanuel, God with us. And there's a connection and community that we have with the Trinity because of his choice to condescend to us and become human. There is a connection that we are missing out on, when we choose not to see God as understanding who we are and connect, and, and purposefully engaging with us. And so mm-hmm. I, I think we have to be really careful um, to not err on the side of calling anything uh, that is human, blaspheming God, but also careful on the side of not uh, being so uh, diminutive of who God is that we lose out on His Almighty holiness. Um, I, I think that where we're at uh, in our culture probably takes uh, God, Jesus in particular, but God's deity too lightly. Um, mm. So maybe a, a little more uh, healthy dose of um, uh, of good um, holiness would be helpful. Uh, reverence, and, a reverence, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. but also with the same mindset that there is an approachability to God, um, that, is, uh, that is beautiful and yeah. helpful and, and worthy of our um, thanks and praise.
0: Yes. And I mean, that's always been the tension in, in theology for 2,000 years, is the immanence and transcendence. Transcendence, right? yeah, trend, yeah. Those two twin things we have to fit, or to think about intention. Right. Um, in your sermon, you said that Psalm 82 fits into this passage. How so?
1: Yeah, Jesus actually quotes Psalm 82 here um, as they are getting ready to stone him um, for insinuating or equating himself with God. He draws uh, to their mind, to their recollection, uh, Psalm 82, which is a a unique psalm for sure, but not completely abnormal in Mm -hmm. the sense that uh, it's uh, written by the Israelite worship leader Asaph. Uh, But he uses a literary function where he describes in, um, you know, uh, uh, um, uh, what's the word? Um, Poetic language, uh, Mm -hmm. a courtroom Mm -hmm. uh, with God as judge, and there's an accusation against the leaders of the world, particularly the leaders of Israel. Mm -hmm. They are supposed to lead and guide and care for and instruct God's people using the authority that God has given them and... Following God's laws and his word that he has given them, and they haven't. They've led the people astray, things are going poorly. Anyway, the accusation begins by them being called gods, little g, gods. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, gods in the sense that they are under shepherds of Yahweh's people, right? They are God's contractors, as it were. Um, his vice regents, they are ruling and reigning and guiding and caring in God's place since they are physically present with God's people and he is not. Mm -hmm. So Jesus uses this psalm to say, you think I'm blaspheming by saying I am God, but here we have in the Old Testament in the books of God that you Jews agree are in fact the words of God himself, a reference to God's leaders as God's. God has given them authority and given them power through His Word to lead by His Word. They're ref- referred to as gods. Hmm. So how much more appropriate is it then for me, who is God Himself, to call Himself God? Hmm. So He is using Psalm 82 to affirm His own uh, words, but more than that, to confirm His deity, right? Like, I, hmm. I He is saying if the leaders of israel are calling themselves god and i am god how then is it wrong for me to say i am god mm. you know
0: it's a pretty pretty solid argument here and and do you think that the uh, the jews understood that what he was trying to do there
1: uh, i don't think so uh, for mm. most of them that's why they they are still trying to continue to try to kill him uh, right. because there is a sense in which um even though from our viewpoint, it makes sense. It's a logical argument. From their viewpoint, his deity did not compute. This wasn't uh, acceptable for someone to actually be calling themselves God and um, to be God. That didn't mesh with their understanding of how God would would save his people.
0: Right. And And they were clear, but by using Psalm 82, they were clear about the comparison he was making.
1: Uh, I, I think so. I think it yeah. was very, uh, uh, you know, they they knew Scripture well enough to know what he was talking about. Right. And they, right. they knew the Psalms well enough to know he is at least labeling himself a prophet, right. the prophet of God.
0: So there's there's uh, some changing of words in there, misunderstanding, misconstruing, and so forth, that the Jewish leaders make. But I was wondering, um, in what ways do we change the words... Of Jesus and why do we do it?
1: Yeah, that's a really good um, self-diagnostic question, uh-huh. and I, I hope that that came through in my sermon as a as a goal uh, for us to all um, strive for is to is to take a step back and to compare what we think Jesus has said or done or would Mm -hmm. approve of with what He actually has said and done. You know, when I uh, assess my own heart, I find myself assuming that Jesus has, or at least would, affirm my thoughts and my actions, the Mm -hmm. ways that I live and view the world. Um, You know, and I I think this is really subtle in most of our lives. Um, We uh, disapprove of someone's behavior and we come up with good, moral, or even biblical reasons for their behavior to be wrong, um, and mm. I think we see very rarely Jesus just outright um, condemning people. In fact, we see the opposite. He says, I do not condemn you. Right. Um, we, we view a particular group of people or a particular behavior as morally wrong or morally right, we we assume that because uh, we believe in Jesus, we follow Jesus, that he too has affirmed it. And for many of us, we are able to pull out a, a quote from Scripture, maybe a quote of Jesus himself, mm. to solidify our viewpoint without taking into account the system of what Jesus is calling us into the system of living, um, and mm. and I think one of the ways that this has become really prevalent is what uh, we might label in in our culture today. We might label as like Christian nationalism, mm. um, right? And and I think that there are many people out there who would look to biblical statements to confirm that we should, in fact, change our country into a Christian country. And for many people, they would say, back into a Christian country. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think, in fact, if we look at the system of faith and repentance and belief that Jesus um, saves us into, right, not saving us from, but saving us into a system of repentance and belief and faith, Mm -hmm. uh, the reality is uh, we were... Uh, never called to make a nation on earth mm-hmm. that was christian right that that that's uh, there will be people who are leaders of nations that are christian there will be people uh, in large groups in different nations that are christian but the kingdom of god is not tied to or does not thrive by or fall by the nations of earth Mm -hmm. And so I think it's easy for us to do similar things in our own hearts, to say, uh, you know, Jesus never uh, did this or said this or wanted this, or Jesus uh, confirms what I believe. And so, like, yeah, this is such a hard uh, diagnostic uh, for us to to follow, um, but it's a good one for us to follow. And the only way for us to know for sure, if we have changed the words of Jesus, is to know and love and listen to Jesus's actual words recorded for us in the Gospels. Mm-hmm.
0: Which is a good plug for reading your Bible, right, and coming to for church sure. and hearing it proclaimed. For sure, yeah. Um, so when we look around the world today, it it seems like it's it, enormously chaotic and crazy and so forth. Um. How can we believe that God is on the throne given the chaos in the world?
1: Yeah, faith. Um this is this is the question of faith. Like where where what does our faith do for us now? And uh you know Hebrews uh 11 maybe says that mm-hmm. you know faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Uh, we look around at the world, at the chaos that is uh, seemingly engulfing every aspect in the world, and it doesn't seem, uh, we don't see uh, the rule of God. Um, however, we know um, from the the words of Jesus, the life of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, that all things work together for the good of those who love Him, that God mm. has uh, orchestrated um, the history of the world past present and future to end with uh redemption and restoration um and even though it might seem like things go backwards at times God is still achieving that and and all of scripture points to this right we we might break down Scripture into its collective parts of redemptive history, Mm -hmm. right? We have at the beginning creation, all things are good in God's eyes, all things are perfect, but then comes the fall, and the fall corrupts everything. Everything is touched by sin, and from that point, from the point of the fall on, we see... um, redemption at work. God is already working to restore and redeem the things that have been broken, and we see in the future uh, the part of redemptive history called consummation, Hmm. where the process of redemption, the process of restoration, is finished and fulfilled in the return of Jesus, and all things in Scripture point to this redemptive history, and so we know that right now we are in the period of redemption or restoration. God is working, even though we don't see it, even though we don't feel it. And so we have been called to to faithfully live our lives knowing that God is at work, mm-hmm. trusting in Him, believing in Him, following the pattern, the rhythm of repentance and belief. Um, maybe one day we will see Jesus return and everything um, restored the the consummation of god's kingdom, but maybe not we're called mm-hmm. to 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 have faith that he is still at work
0: right so your the title of your sermon is beautiful works. what are the beautiful works you're referring to in your sermon?
1: <clears throat> yeah, this is really hard um because beauty is uh often connected with perfection in our mm-hmm. society um and I think that um what we see in Scripture is that beauty has less to do with perfection than it does with identity, Hmm. and uh, in particular, um, brokenness is not uh, a preclusion from beauty, right? Just because something is broken doesn't make it ugly. In fact, in many cases, it's in the brokenness that we see Jesus working beauty. Um, Mm -hmm. A good example is the story of the woman at the well. Her life, by all accounts, is broken. Her relationships with these men that she has uh, been with and with the rest of her village are broken. Her schedule is broken, Mm -hmm. and the beauty of of Jesus' communication with her is dignifying her as an individual. The story of her being redeemed already in in our understanding by going and engaging with the rest of her community is beautiful. Hmm. Um, and the one of the problems that we have in recognizing beautiful works today is our skepticism and our hmm. cynicism, right? There is a, a lot of of pain and and suffering. Um, that has prevented us from being able to accept beauty in brokenness. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a, a movie that has just come out on Netflix uh, called The Atom Project uh, with Ryan Reynolds. It's about uh, time travel and space. It's a little sci-fi. I've not actually seen the movie, but I've seen a clip, mm-hmm. and the the clip in the in the clip is a quote, and, and it's a, a young kid who says that. Um, uh, something to the effect of, everybody's so angry, and it makes sense because anger is easier than sadness. Hmm. And it's like, this is, I think this is correct. This is where we're at in in a, in our culture, is that we uh, are so uncomfortable with sorrow, and we're so uncomfortable with pain, so we engage with anger easier. And when we do, it breeds this skepticism and this cynicism that prevents us from seeing beauty and brokenness. Um, and, and I think if we begin to to do that, to confront our skepticism, to accept our sorrow, we will be able to see beauty easier, right? And and so mm-hmm. I just, I, I remember, and I, I might have used this in a sermon before, so forgive me if you're like, ah, I hear he talks about this all the time. But there was, uh, when I was in college, uh, before a, a college football game, we were watching and uh, in my apartment with my roommates, we were watching the game, they did ESPN did like this little uh, spotlight, this little bio piece on this uh, kid uh, who was born blind and with a rare condition where he mm. uh, couldn't uh, move, couldn't you know walk or, or get around. I, I can't remember exactly what it was. Um, but he was also gifted with this incredible ear for music and talent to play. Um, I think the name that's in my my head is Patrick Henry Hughes, and that might be wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, so forgive me if you look it up and you're like, this isn't the guy. But uh, <laughs> what I remember is that in the piece, they describe how amazing his musical talent was and how much he loved playing. Um, and when he graduated from high school and went to college, he desperately wanted to be in the University of Louisville marching band. But with mm-hmm. his blindness and his inability to move, it was obviously not going to happen. Um, and, and that's beautiful in and of itself, his ability to to play music and to um, show his talent despite uh, these uh, seeming setbacks and, and hardships. Uh, but the beauty for me that I saw was the way that his father reacted and his father chose to rearrange his schedule and work different jobs so that he could go to marching band practice with his son who was in a wheelchair and he learned the father learned all the marching drill and all the sets and how to move the right Mm. way and bought a uniform so that his son could play in the marching band and he was there with him three four days a week whatever it was and on saturdays at football games so that his son like I'm I am was so struck by how beautiful that was. Mm. How hard it was for him as a father to have to do that for his son and yet how amazing it was. And I don't I don't know anybody who would watch that and not say wow. That is amazing. Yeah. And if if we were to just take a step back uh from amazing and and look at it there it's it's beauty. Mm-hmm. It's beauty that accepts brokenness and and doesn't just ignore it or doubt it or, or you know approach it with skepticism but says mm-hmm. this this is amazing. This is beautiful.
0: Well let's let's unpack that further because this is important. If if we want to begin to recognize beauty more in our lives, and the way that Jesus is still making beautiful works today, um, how do we do that? Like, how do we change our our perception or whatever to see these things?
1: Yeah, the the first thing that I would say is we have to get comfortable with our own hearts. Hmm. Um, and this is really hard, because uh, particularly in Silicon Valley, it's all about what's next, how can we improve, how can we grow? Uh, we'll, we're okay spending time with failure as long as we're learning something from failure, um, and I think what, what we see uh, in in our hearts is that we actually use that drive to mask our pain hmm. um, and to get over the feeling of failure. And so we have to spend time with our story. Everybody's life is a story and it's filled with highlights and lowlights, with pain points and with joy. And to be able to take a step uh, out of the the fast paced life, and to say, my life is really hard, mm-hmm. and here are the points where I feel like I've been broken or I have broken myself, um, and to be able to say, to ask this question, Jesus, what are you doing in this in this moment? Mm. Because when you slow down and start to accept. The, th- all of the parts of your story, and you begin to connect the reality that Jesus is never not working, right? Mm. Double negatives there. Jesus is never <laughs> not working. Yes. Um, you begin to realize that everybody is in the same position. Can we Every- be
0: assured, assured by, by that, though? That he's confident that he's working in our lives? A hundred percent.
1: The Apostle Paul writes in, in Philippians 1, six. I am confident that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. Um, He writes in Romans, right? All things work together for the good of those who love him. Uh, Jesus is talked about as the author and perfecter of our faith. So when you become a Christian, what you are saying is, I acknowledge that God was working in my heart before I even knew him. Right, Hmm. He is the one who brought me to a place of conviction where I cry out in repentance and receive the forgiveness offered to me on the cross. And the Holy Spirit now dwells in me, continuing to root out sin, to bring it to the surface so I can repent of it and be freed of it. And that process continues throughout my whole life. It's called Hmm. sanctification. The Spirit of God is dwelling in me, uniting me to Christ— making me more like Him, working in me at all times. And so when you start to believe that, then your pain and your sorrow over the loss of a family member, over two years spent in isolation and fear uh, from COVID, um, there is a sorrow and a loss and a grief that often is replaced with with anger and frustration because it's easier, mm-hmm. and it is distracting. But when you begin to accept the brokenness and see that God is somehow working in it, using it, as we've talked about, sinlessly mm-hmm. to make you more like Jesus, you're, you're, it's just a beautiful... your eyes become a- attuned to the reality of Jesus working in other places, and so mm. instead of looking at someone's uh struggle or failure or story as uh skeptically you begin to to look at it with curiosity and with grace and wonder and you see someone who is in process and is it has a, their own sense of beauty to them mm. right like I, I think about how silly we often. Uh, Character caricature art galleries, right? Like mm-hmm. in movies and cartoons and whatever. Uh, we always have this sense of like people standing in front of an impressionist piece of art, which is just like paint splattered on a canvas. And one person's <laughs> like, "Oh, I see the sun," and the other one's like, "Whoa, it's a it's a great uh, remark right. on the depravity of humanity." Right. And exactly, yes, that's the point. Hmm. The point is that that what you see in someone's life. Uh, might have to do with how you see Jesus working in their life for sure mm-hmm. but it also might have to do with how Jesus is working in your life and highlighting particular aspects we were right. I was talking about this with someone uh earlier this week um about like what is the benefit of of corporate prayer like, mm. why, why, are, why why is it a good idea for us in our community groups to encourage community groups to pray together? Because so often it's like, hey, I got this meeting this week, or like, yeah, so, you know, my roommates are uh, have left me out again, and so let's pray for that. It, and it might seem to other people like your prayer request is insignificant compared mm. to what's going on in their life. And my rea- the reality is, even if it isn't the most pressing thing in your life, uh, even if it it is, but someone else might s- see it as as insignificant. The reality is, the words you speak, Jesus can use in the life of someone else. So, if you are confessing a sin that might not seem very sinful to someone else, uh, it might open their eyes to the reality that they are in fact sinning in the same way that they had not ever thought of it. But because mm-hmm. you you spoke it, they were the spirit in living in them used your words right, like hmm. beauty. Uh, is in the eye of the beholder for sure, but beauty, your eyes are attuned to the beauty in the world around you as you begin to see the beauty that Jesus is working in you. Hmm. And, and so to begin to see that, you have to, you have to accept the brokenness, the hardship, and the work of Jesus inside of you.
0: So what would you say to those listeners who say, I hear you, I, I, I think that God is on the throne despite the chaos, I believe you, that God's still doing beautiful works, but they have doubts and unbelief. I mean, how, would, how does Jesus respond to our doubts and unbelief?
1: Yeah, 100%, you are in good company, because everyone does at, at some point, and I would say more often than not. Uh, and someone who says I've never, I've never doubted, or I've never not believed, a they probably haven't lived a whole lot of life, or b they don't really fully comprehend uh, what they're saying they believe, uh, because there is a dissonance between the world that was created by God and the world we live in now because of sin, mm. and if we, if you can't at least walk into that dissonance and say. Something is wrong, and I don't understand it. Uh, you're not getting the full picture, hmm. and so for someone who is struggling with doubt or unbelief, even though they can, you know, intellectually assent to the reality that Jesus is on the throne, uh, but they still doubt that He's at work in their life, or that it's all going to be okay, or that you know, I, I don't necessarily believe all this stuff. We have to we have to see the Jesus that is presented to us in the gospel. As a, a Jesus who is full of patience, mm. full of concern, is slow to anger, and is abounding in steadfast love, mm. right? He welcomes those who are doubting, who are struggling to believe, and He welcomes those because there is nothing in Him that is threatened by it. Mm-hmm. They're, like, it, We get frustrated with someone who doesn't believe in us or isn't confident in us because there is an insecurity in us. Maybe they're right. So I can't let this this uh, doubt come to the surface, because maybe it's right. Mm-hmm. That's not Jesus. Jesus is not insecure. God yeah. is not insecure in his position, and so he welcomes those who are doubting and unbelieving and, and struggling with the reality of life because he is confident in who he is, He is confident in what he's done, and he is confident that those whom he has called will be saved and will be sanctified, uh, made into the image of Jesus. And so God is long-suffering, suffering suffering Mm -hmm. in the sense of willing to go through the struggles. And I I would say that uh, for many of us, we are hesitant to bring our doubts and unbelief to God because we're afraid of being corrected or being uh, you know, received negatively, because mm-hmm. that's what we've experienced in life from humans. Mm-hmm. But I would say that the invitation of Scripture, particularly seen in the Psalms, is the, that the, the place of doubt and unbelief in the life of a Christian, of someone following Jesus, is up front. Mm-hmm. Bring your whole heart to God. Uh, you know, not disrespectfully, but just honestly. He's a
0: big boy; he can take it. Yeah. Yeah. So, what, why is it important that we have Christian community when we start to talk about these kinds of things?
1: Yeah, and, and I, I, I've kind of alluded to it in talking about the the way beauty works, but mm. uh, um, the spirit, the same spirit that dwells in me and is working in me, is dwelling in you and working in you. And in every other Christian or follower of Jesus, right, and and what that means is, I might be able to see one side of the painting, or I might bring one piece of the tapestry of mm-hmm. of Jesus uh, to the the conversation, but you're going to bring a different piece. From your mm-hmm. own life story, from your own experience day to day, your own wisdom, your own knowledge, all of that is being shaped and informed by Jesus. And so when we gather together, um, there is a harmony, right? I, I'm, sorry, I'm a band nerd. This is what I do. Um, harmony, good, man. right? Like yeah. in the sense that you can hear one instrument playing one piece of music and it is beautiful. Mm hmm but when you have a whole orchestra playing different parts that blend together it is amazing mm, amazing amen. and that's what we are as uh, the body of Christ right and we're not all we're not virtuosos right this mm-hmm. is probably more middle school band than it is london phil <laughs> right and listen there yeah. there there's a commercial on right now for some uh, car <laughs> company I think don't.
0: Yes, I remember it. <laughs> I don't know yeah, what it yeah. is,
1: but the car is in the middle of a middle school band. Yeah, it's and awesome. they're all playing something, and the I assume it's supposed to be a mother of one of the kids, but just rolls right. up the windows, and she can't hear the cacophony anymore. Right, but there's something in that, like some. For me, nostalgia of being mm-hmm. in Mr. Keggie's uh, middle school band class yes. and us all like plotting and trying. There's a beauty in it, even though it's terrible. Like you can listen to the sounds and be like, "This is bad." I know nothing about music, but this is bad. Right. Um, but there is a beauty in it, and that's like that's what I I would say we see. Um, as an offering of a Christian community. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is a an individualism that is in and of itself beautiful because God is at work, but it pales in comparison to the unity of those individual sounds and melodies brought together um, in, in, in
0: harmony, aided by the Spirit. So it's it's good that we're in community, but but just for the reasons you just mentioned, can we consider each other beautiful works? We we better, <laughs> we better be able to do that, um, or we're just gonna be stuck
1: up uh, in, uh, not stuck up, caught up uh, with hmm. each other's failures. Hmm. Um, you know, when we uh, we just got through doing a, a new members class, walking our our members through. What it looks like to be a part of grace. What it looks like to to say you're a follower of Jesus. And one of the things we talk about is uh, how do you how do you reconcile conflict? Like, what does it look like mm. to resolve conflict? Um, and almost always, the question is asked: Like, should there be conflict? Um, and if 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 we are living life together, there can't. Not be conflict. That's the second double negative of this podcast. So wow. I apologize for it, but it's important. Yeah, man, um, this is we, getting... there can't not be conflict. Mm-hmm. Uh, sin is prevalent. Number one, number two, we all differ in the way that we view things. Their their individualism is deeply rooted in our hearts, both uh, in, in good and in bad. Right, like. Uh, the, a sinful individualism, for sure, but then also the the beautiful individualism of God working in our own story, and that's going to clash with other people. And so if we're able to take a step back and realize, oh yeah, I I have failed, I am a sinner, as, as Bob says, you are the biggest sinner that you know, if mm. you can accept that and believe that that's true, and simultaneously believe that Jesus is always working in you despite all that brokenness and failure and sin... When you approach someone else who is different than you, who is sinning differently than you sin, the beauty of their story begins to shine through a little more. Mm. Um, and that's why the community of the church uh, should not look like a country club, but as often repeated by, you know, theologians and pastors, but a hospital for mm. uh, those who are being treated.
0: Yeah. Yeah, no, that's that's super important. Uh, Okay, so let's wrap this up this morning and talk about one um, very important illustration he made in this sermon, and you said that that the cross of Jesus is his most beautiful work. So if so, why?
1: Uh, At the cross, we see the absolute most uh, uh, egregious atrocity— the greatest failure of humanity the worst of the worst possible actions um the murder of god incarnate mm. the the only sinless human being terribly executed mm-hmm. just the most uh, just the, the most terrible thing right like the holocaust genocide um child abuse all those things multiplied by 10 that's hard to believe mm-hmm. but that is what's at stake at the cross and it's simultaneously the the most um gracious sacrificial uh willful act of of personal sacrifice mm-hmm. um that is saving for all those who receive it Hmm. right there. There is a um, mutuality when it comes to the depth of the depravity displayed by the cross and the height of the dignity displayed by the cross. Um, It's, it's hard to comprehend um, how happy the cross should make us. Hmm while also grieving us so deeply. Um, when I was a kid growing up in the church, every time, uh, our church did communion the third uh, and fifth Sundays of the month, so not not as often as we do at Grace. Mm-hmm. Um, and when we did, it took a while, and we sang hymns from the Trinity Hymnal, um, and one of the hymns that we sang was, uh, is, Were You There? When they crucified my Lord, yes. and it's it's a it's a, a it it sounds like a dirge of a song, very um, somber, and uh, I can remember being a child and watching all of all of these adults, many adults, tearing mm. up yes and and crying while singing the song, and just thinking like it's a song, like what's going on. And then going away to college and mm. actually understanding what Jesus did for me and accepting the the depth of my depravity and my need for a Savior every day, not just like a one-time thing, um, and, it, you know, maturing in my faith and then being back at my same the same church I grew up in and singing it and finding how easy it was for tears to form in my mm-hmm. eye. Like, the grief mixed with delight, like... This is the only way for me to know that I'm a child of God. For me to mm-hmm. be a child of God, the only way for now, uh, my children, my my wife, my friends to be children of God is for God Himself to be tortured. Yeah, there, right again, in the brokenness, Jesus is working beauty. There is nothing more broken than the cross. And there is nothing more beautiful than the cross.
0: Amen, brother. That's, uh, we, we can take that to the bank. Yeah. I, I appreciate that. Well, thank you again for your time this morning. Yeah, thanks, Matt. The title of Stephen's sermon is Beautiful Works. It's part of our sermon series from the Gospel of John. You can find that sermon and all our sermons and this podcast on iTunes and Spotify and on our website at gracesouthbay.com. You can also find a link on our website to ask questions for this podcast. We're really glad that you're tuning into these podcasts, and we hope that these conversations are helping you you develop a closer relationship with Jesus. If you have questions about the Christian faith or just need someone to talk to, we have pastors, elders, youth leaders, and a women's care team ready to help. We're just an email or a phone call away. If you have a prayer request, you can also go directly to our website at gracesouthbay.com and submit your requests using the prayer button at the top of the website. And if you're new to Grace South Bay, we would encourage you to fill out the Connect card and one of our pastors will reach out to you. And of course, we'd love to have you join us for Sunday morning worship. We meet at 9 a.m. at Crossroads Bible Church in San Jose. We'll be back next week with another episode of the GSP podcast. So stay tuned and stay connected and be encouraged knowing that nothing can separate you from God's love. We look forward to our next time together. Now go in peace to love and serve the Lord. Thanks for listening.